Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. Religion can be very attractive to people. The reason why is because religion appeals to different people in different ways. One of the ways that religion can be very attractive to individuals is that it gives people something to do to make them feel as though they are perhaps getting close to God, or they can just simply have a social experience with people who are doing similar things, observing the same rituals or ceremonies that they are. Religion can be very appealing in that regard. It can also be very appealing because of the system of laws that the religion advertises, that the religion says that this is what we believe is right and this is what we believe is wrong. And so if you will conform to or if you will subscribe to the beliefs that we have described, that we have outlaid, then you can be one of us and you can be accepted by us. And in that way, you can have a place to be. You can have people who you can spend time with who will accept you, who will acknowledge that you are okay. Religion provides things like this. And one of the things that people find very appealing when it comes to religion is the system of law that they provide not because they feel that they need something to keep them under control, but because they believe that they can succeed at observing all of the laws that the religion defines. And, of course, the real advantage to observing all of the laws that the religion defines is that you can then compare yourself with those who are not part of the religion, You can make comparisons. You can say, look at those people over there. They are not like we are. They're not like one of us. And so because they are not like one of us, we are better than they are. It's an opportunity to make comparisons. But this, of course, can be very deceiving because maybe you are not being observant like you think you are. Maybe you are not as righteous as you think you are. This is one of the pitfalls of the law, is that people believe that it will give them a way of life, a way of righteousness, a way to live. It will give them the standard by which they can find a way to be better persons, only to discover that they cannot observe all of the laws that they are required to observe, or they cannot observe the laws adequately or satisfactorily, that they still cannot be perfect even though they have a system of laws that they like, that they perhaps enjoy, that they personally would really like to observe, they still don't observe those commandments to the fullness of what they think they should, of what they know they should observe. And so in the end, are they really any better than anybody else? Are they any more impressive than somebody else is? Well, technically, no. Now, they might be in their own eyes, but definitely not in the eyes of God. And so, what is the end result of a life in religion? What is the end result? What what will be the goal? What will be the greatest achievement that a person will realize when they pursue their religion? The greatest achievement will be to discover that they have failed. 
that they have not succeeded adequately, that they will not be able to go before God and boast before God and say, look at who I am, look at what I have done, look at how wonderful I am. You should be thankful that I am here in your presence. That is not going to be the end result of anything that anybody pursues. And if they were to be honest with themselves, I'm confident that they would admit that, that they would confess that. So what do they have, really? Well, what they have is another form of lawlessness, another form of unrighteousness, another form of failure, another form of sin, another form of evil. It is the sin, the unrighteousness, the evil, it is the failure that results from a person trying to be somebody that they cannot be. So religion can be very attractive in one way, as long as you can compare yourself with somebody else who is not as impressive as you are. But if you were to compare yourself with God, if you were to compare yourself with perfection, well, then you're not going to do very well. So there is a lawlessness in religion, just as there is a lawlessness with those who have no religion at all. Both are lawless. In Romans chapter 6, verse 19, it says, I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Well, he could be referring to one of two different categories of people. The first category is, of course, those who are ungodly, who have no interest in the things of God and the things of the law in any way whatsoever. Those people are easy to identify. But there is another group of people, and sometimes they're a little bit more difficult to identify. That group of people are the people who are trying to be righteous. They are trying to be holy. They are trying to be obedient, but they are not. And so by definition, they are lawless. They are lawless, and the more that they pursue it, the further they will pursue lawlessness. So again, I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, for just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness. But how do you present yourself as a slave to righteousness? There is only one way, and that is to understand the righteousness of God. To know the righteousness of God, to see the righteousness of God, you have to let go of the law, all forms of law, not for the purpose of pursuing lawlessness, but for the purpose of recognizing that the only end of pursuing the law is lawlessness. To realize that there is no hope otherwise, you have to truly let go of the law, but not to have no law, not to have lawlessness, but to turn to God for his righteousness. And what is this righteousness of God? It is a righteousness of believing in who he is and in what he has accomplished for you. It has nothing to do with the law, with the presence of it or the absence of it. It has to do with the presence of the person the living God himself. Those are two completely different things. You see, when you are pursuing a life without any religion, without any law, without any God, then you have a life without the person of your God. 
But when you are pursuing a life of religion, a life of some religious law of some kind, you are still without the person of your God. All you have is your rules, your regulations, your principles for daily living, things like that. But you do not need the person who created you. You don't really need him. All you need is knowledge and understanding of what is good and evil. Then you have perfect religion. I'm talking about something else, something that is independent of the law that is not lawless, something different, and that is the righteousness that results in sanctification. Now, what most people are trying to accomplish in their religion is a form of sanctification, a form of sanctification in the sense that they don't sin anymore. If they don't sin anymore, then they believe that they are sanctified. Will they ever achieve that? Of course not. They might be able to deceive themselves into thinking that they have done that. But those who are around them, of course, know better. It's very easy for somebody to see the sin in somebody else. That's not the kind of sanctification that he's referring to. The word sanctification means something entirely different outside of this religious belief. The word sanctification means that a person is completely set apart. They are put aside. They are identified as something else for an intended purpose. That is sanctification. And in the context of holiness, they're right. They are pursuing sanctification and they will never achieve it. But you can achieve sanctification if you let go of the pursuit of sanctification in that context and understand that he will set you apart because you believe in him when others do not. When you believe that he no longer holds your sins against you anymore, you have been separated from those who still believe that he holds their sins against them. You are different from those people. You are not the same. You have been set apart as an individual who is at peace with God, who is able to be at rest, who is able to trust in him and rely on him and be accepted and loved by their God. You are somebody who is entirely different. He has set you apart by your belief in what is true. You believe what he has said. You believe in the truth and you are set apart from those who do not believe the truth. When you believe your God, you are righteous, just as Abraham was righteous because he believed God. You are therefore sanctified because you believe in God, not because you found some miraculous way to get your flesh under control. Others still want to believe that they will be sanctified when they get their flesh under control, or the more they get their flesh under control, the more sanctified they will be, but they will never achieve sanctification. Sanctification will only be achieved when God grants it, when he gives it, and it is what you receive. Sanctification is what you receive when you present yourself as a servant to God on the basis of the righteousness of faith. When you believe him, you are his servant, because that is the kind of servant that he wants. He is searching for people who will believe that he is and who will believe what he has said. And you are a servant of God when you believe him. When you believe him, you will be a living testimony that he is, that he is true, you will testify of the truth that he has revealed, and there is no greater service for God. There is no greater service that you could provide than to be a testimony of the truth that he has revealed. Because when others believe the truth, when they have the faith of Abraham, 
they will be saved as you have been. They will be resurrected as you have been. And what greater work is there besides that which resurrects people from the dead? There is no greater work than that. So please do not underestimate the seriousness and the significance of this resurrection and of this righteousness and of this sanctification that you have. Again, in verse 19, this is Romans chapter 6, verse 19, it says, I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. Why did he refer to the weakness of your flesh? Because you were trying to obey and you failed. Why? Because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, how did you do that? Because you presented yourself to the law and you failed. Therefore, by definition, you are impure and lawless, resulting in further lawlessness. The more you tried, the worse it got. And if it hasn't happened for you yet, it's because you haven't tried hard enough. You're not really as committed or as devoted as you claim that you are. So now, instead, present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. In verse 20, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. How were you a slave of sin? Well, if you look in the previous verses, in verse 14, this is Romans chapter 6, verse 14, he says, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. You were a slave of sin. Sin was your master because you were under the law. When you were under the law, you were a slave of sin. And when you were a slave of sin under the law, you were free with regards to righteousness. Why were you free in regard to righteousness? Because you did not have to believe God. You only had to believe in yourself. That's all you have to believe in. You don't need God when you have the law. You have the law. You can follow the law. The law tells you what to do. It tells you what you can do. It tells you what you can't do. It gives you the standard to live by. You are free from God because you have the law. And because you are free from God, you don't have to know him. You don't have to believe him. You don't have to hear him. But because you don't believe him, you don't hear him. You don't know him. You do not have righteousness. You do not have the righteousness of faith. Instead, you have the righteousness of obedience. If you obey, but since you don't, you don't even have that. So what do you have? Nothing but sin. That's all that you have. Again in verse 20, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What made you a slave to sin? Being a slave to the law. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. Well, this can be described in two ways. Again, with regards to the ungodly, those who do not have the law, they are definitely going to be ashamed of their pursuit of the indulgence of the flesh. But those who do have the law, they should be just as ashamed because they cannot successfully obey the law as the law requires. And so they have every reason to be ashamed of all the things that they have in their life. The outcome of a life without the law and the outcome of a life with the law is death. But the outcome of a life of trust and belief in what Jesus has done for you is different. It is life. It is the resurrection. He talks about the benefit. You know, the reason why people live the way they do is because they expect to receive a benefit of some kind. 
When it comes to the ungodly, those who do not even want to acknowledge the presence or existence of God or his commandments, when it comes to those people, what are the benefits that they are hoping to achieve in their life? Well, the benefits can easily be defined on the basis of one of two things. The first thing is maximizing pleasure. And the second thing is minimizing pain. That's a reasonable way to describe the life of someone who is totally ungodly, that they are fully devoted to trying to maximize pleasure and minimize pain in their life, whatever that might look like for them. That, of course, is a life of death because there is nothing in the world that will meet the needs of an individual's heart, and so they will never have true pleasure. They will always live in the maximum amount of pain and have the minimum amount of pleasure because the issues of the heart will never be dealt with. They will never be resolved. But what about the life of somebody who is religious, someone who is devoted to a system of bondage, someone who has enslaved themselves by a system of law that they try to live by, that they try to be devoted to? What are the benefits that they are hoping to gain from that? Well, the first benefit that's normally advertised is the blessings. People are hoping to receive blessings in their life. They expect some divine intervention to verify and confirm and show God's appreciation for what you have done, for your obedience. This is described in the Law of Moses, that if you obey all of the commandments, then he will bless you. But who is going to obey all of the commandments? No one is going to obey all of the commandments. And so who is going to be blessed? No one is going to be blessed. There is no reason why God should ever intervene in a divine way in anyone's life because of their repentance or their obedience. There is never any need for that because no one will ever repent and obey to the level, to the degree that would be acceptable to God so that he would say, you are holy and so I will bless you in return because obviously I owe you that. The other thing that religious people look for is rewards. Rewards are often described as those blessings or those things that you will receive after you die. So if you're not going to be blessed now, perhaps you'll be blessed later with rewards. But again, what reward could you ever receive that did not originate with God? Absolutely none. There is no way that anyone will ever receive any acknowledgement, recognition, or reward of any kind from God in the kingdom of heaven because of their repentance and obedience today. There is no place for the law in anyone's life at all, for blessings, for rewards, or even with the absence of the law for pleasure and pain. There is nothing in this world or in religion that will satisfy an individual or meet the deepest needs of their heart. There is no benefit, no benefit at all in the things of the world or in the things of religion. So again, in verse 21, this is Romans chapter 6, verse 21, Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. What is eternal life? Eternal life is the life of God that will dwell within you eternally. That you can have 
right now. That is eternal life. Sanctification is what you get right now. You are set apart as an individual who believes God. He restores to you the Holy Spirit lost in Adam, giving it to you freely as a free gift. And when you receive that, you have eternal life. He's not talking about some progressive experience where you are eventually sanctified, and then later on, when you physically die, you're going to have eternal life. That's not what he's referring to. He's referring to what you get right now, today, when you believe, when you trust in him, and when you are resurrected by the living God himself, this is what you get, again, in verse 22. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. Now, what is the benefit that he's talking about? Is he talking about a place in the kingdom of heaven? Well, certainly, I can appreciate the value of having a place in the kingdom of heaven, but I don't think that's what he's really referring to. Is he perhaps referring to you now being an individual who he might intervene in your life, he might intervene in a divine way so that you can experience a better life of some kind? He does that for lots of people, for people who don't even know who he is. So I wouldn't want to say that that's what he's talking about. No, I really believe, I really believe that the real benefit is him. That's what I believe. I believe that the real benefit for someone who wants to know him is knowing him. That the real benefit for someone wanting to have a relationship with him would be to have a relationship with him. That that is the benefit. And the only way you can achieve this is by letting go of the things of the world and also by letting go of the things of religion. You have to let go of both. People often take the position that you have to choose one or the other, that they are opposed to one another. But I believe that they are both the same, that the things of the world and the things of religion both lead to death. In verse 23 it says, For the wages of sin is death. And where does sin come from? It comes from the ungodly, who do not acknowledge the existence of God and are devoted to a life of maximizing pleasure and minimizing pain. They experience plenty of sin and that results in death. And it also comes from those who are bound by religion, who are trying to be somebody that they can never be, who are trying to achieve something that they will never achieve, who are trying to obey when they will never obey, who are trying to repent when obviously they never repent. Their end is death. Their sin will result in death. What kind of death are they going to experience? Well, they are going to experience the continual absence of their God. They were born into this world spiritually dead, and they are going to stay in that condition while they stay in their sin, either the sin of the indulgence of the flesh or the sin of religion. Either way, they will remain in their condition of death. The wages of sin is death. The benefit that they will be able to obtain by either their pursuit of the bondage of religion or the absence thereof will still be the same. It will still be death. It will still be emptiness. But the gift, the free gift of God, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's talking about a different life, a different life that is totally separate from this life in the world. He, of course, is referring to the gospel as well, that the wages of sin is death. You are born into this world spiritually dead. Your sin confirms to you that you are dead. If you sin, you die according to the law that God gave Adam. But the free gift of God is eternal life. 
That is the solution to death. This is the gospel. That you were born into this world spiritually dead, but he has forgiven you of all of your sins so he can restore to you the free gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the life of God, which will resurrect you from among the dead so that you can be made alive. And he is offering that to you freely. But in the context of benefit, in the context of what people are hoping to obtain, regardless of whether they are in the world or they are in religion, they are always going to receive the benefit of their actions, of their beliefs, of their decisions, which is always going to lead to sin, which will always reveal the condition of emptiness and death that they are in. But when you turn from both of those and you turn to the living God and believe him and you obtain the righteousness of Abraham, which is based on you believing and trusting in what he has revealed concerning forgiveness and resurrection, when you turn to him for who he is, and when you receive what he has to offer you, then you will be alive, and then you will have a new life before you to walk in. But instead of that, what do people want? They want the law. They want some commandments. Just tell me what to do. Just tell me what not to do. I'll do what I'm supposed to do, I won't do what I'm not supposed to do, and then I can be rewarded for that. Then God can find some way to intervene in some divine way in my life to demonstrate to me that he's thankful, that he's excited, that he really appreciates my efforts. That's what people are after. That's what people want. They would prefer to have benefits such as those. Give me something in the world. Give me something that I can enjoy in my life right now. But that is not why you are here. He didn't create you so that he can just dispense to you a bunch of stuff or provide you with an easier life compared to other people. That's not what he's doing. He put you here so that you can have the opportunity to know who he is and so that he can also have the opportunity to know you and enjoy you in the life that you have before you. But instead of that, people want something else. They want other benefits. But the benefit of the new covenant is that you can now know your God. And if you don't want that, then you might as well just forget everything because there is nothing else. There is nothing in this world that is greater than that. Do not be afraid to let go of the law. It is the only way to enter into the new covenant so that you may know your God. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net